I know I'm gonna be uncomfortable for a while. It's okay, it's okay. That's, it's all right. I know that something else is coming my way and I just gotta work towards that. I don't even, sometimes I don't even know what I'm working towards sometimes, but I know that something else is around that bend and whatever it is that I'm in in the moment, I'm just gonna roll with it. I'm gonna learn from it. I'm gonna take it all in. I'm gonna take it with me because I'm gonna need that at some point in time. That's been my life. Like that literally has been my life. Welcome to the art of speaking up a podcast that helps professional women access the limitless potential that lies within them. I'm your host, Jessica Guzik, and my mission is to help you find that spark inside you that has the power to transform your career in ways you may not have thought possible. I'm so excited that you're here. And now, on to the show. Welcome to the show. Thank you for tuning in. If you tuned in last week, then you know that the regular content for the show has been on a temporary pause with everything that's been happening and with the murder of George Floyd and the protests and the focus on Black Lives Matter that has resulted from that. It didn't feel quite right for me to be putting out the regular content. And so last week I wanted to mute the show and really amplify black voices and after reflecting on what I wanted to do this week I realized that I wanted to continue to amplify black voices only this time I wanted to amplify some of the voices of the black women that have shared some of their experiences on the show and I know with everything that's going on right now and I speak for myself when I say this a lot of us are asking ourselves the question of Not only what can I do, but why has it taken me so long to focus on this? Why did it take something of such magnitude and such horror to finally get my focus on this with a level of commitment and focus that I didn't have before? And one of the best ways to become an ally and to learn is to listen and to hear the experiences of black people and on this show of black women. And for me, at least, this is what I believe, and I want to share this in case it helps you. I think there are different ways to listen. I don't think that all listening is created equal. I think there's listening at a more superficial level where, yes, maybe we're listening, but we're kind of listening for how it helps us, or we're just kind of like waiting until we can get our point of view in, and we're thinking of like, what's next after that? There's that kind of listening. And then there's a different kind of listening, which is far more valuable and which is what I believe is needed right now. And that is true, deep, slow, visceral listening. And I wanted to share these experiences and these stories so that those of us who are asking ourselves, how can I be anti-racist? How can I ensure that I'm becoming a good leader? How can I ensure that I'm being a supportive colleague and that as I rise in my career, I'm building a career that I'm proud of and that, you know, as I become a leader and define cultures and define how an organization runs, I'm doing so in a way that undoes so many of the injustices that black people and other people of color have had to face for all of these years. So if you're asking 
yourself that question, I think listening to these lived experiences and these stories is such a helpful way to begin to build a base of understanding that really helps you and I show up in these situations and understand what needs to change so we can hopefully become part of that change. And like I said, what I'm sharing with you is all my process. So I'm not kind of like talking down to anyone listening and saying like, this is what you need to do. I'm sharing my thought process and how I'm looking at this and opening up to this in the hopes that you also care about joining in on that process. So I'm going to cut in to some of the stories and experiences of some of the black women who have been on this show. And the first one that you are going to hear is Petal Modest. She is the Associate Dean of Student Affairs Administration at Columbia Law School, and she's also had a career as a lawyer. So she was a lawyer prior to her role as the Associate Dean of Student Affairs Administration. And she is also the host of Parenting for the Future podcast, which is amazing. So you'll hear from her. I will also link her podcast below as well as her full episode in case you want to hear her entire interview. So when I was just starting out, obviously, I really wanted to be a great lawyer, but I was very aware of what I would call perceived obstacles or challenges. And so I was not born in the United States. I had uh, immigrated here uh, primarily to study. Um, I am a woman of color. And I was going into a profession that was very white, very male, and I wondered and worried about my ability to thrive in that profession, not because of what I was capable of doing or my intelligence, my education, my training. None of that worried me. I really worried about the fact that I could have everything going for me, but the people who sort of were responsible for my growth and my development and my promotion in that profession, none of them looked like me. And the fact that the profession looked the way it did was a signal to me that maybe they didn't appreciate or, or, or embrace, for want of a better word, people who looked like me. And so in my early days of being a lawyer, I really worried about my ability to, to thrive in that profession and to really grow. And I would say that I had a lot of, there were a lot of instances where it was very clear to me that some people were not comfortable with having a, a, a woman of color in a room taking charge in some instances or even being in the room, you know, or I also found the opposite where where people just treated you like a person, which ultimately is what we want the world to be like, where people, you know, are, are looked at and treated and uh, respected based on what they bring to the table rather than what they look like. But that was certainly a big challenge for me in my 20s and thinking about how how would I navigate this legal career, the, this this legal field that looks so, you know, the, the whole power structure looks so different from me? Would I ever be able to to get there, even though that was my ambition at the time? And is there anything that you learned along the way that you think might be helpful or inspirational to someone who relates to your story and what you're what you're speaking about? So I think it was about staying open and being willing to drop my own mask, being willing to have candid conversations and to try to build relationships with people, not based on whatever my role was or my title was, but based on the fact that we were human beings involved in a common endeavor. And by that, I mean, 
we could all spend a lot of time focusing on what's different about us versus other people who we're working with, whether it's age or race or gender or even interest. And the time that we take spending, you know, the time that we spend thinking about those things, if we spent it trying to get to know those people, trying to make sure that whatever you did have in common was a, a jumping off point to form a better and stronger relationship, I think we would all be better off and we would sort of get over these anxieties a lot quicker. And believe me when I say there were a lot of nights and days and months where I'd be wallowing in things like, oh, will I, do I want to stay in this profession? What, what sense does it make? Uh, you know, I've been there. I've been there turning things over and over in my head. But I've also done the opposite, which is where I said, you know what? To hell with this. I want to do well in this role. If these are the only people that are actually doing well, they don't have to look like me or share my gender or background or what have you. Okay, who cares? They're human beings. And I'm going to take a little step towards them. And little by little, I, I found that they would step towards me as well. And so some of my very, very closest friends and mentors are all these people who had nothing, you know, really in common with me, except that we're all human. <laughs> and um, they're still in my life today. I, I The first firm that I worked I, I worked at, I, I met my husband there. All of my best friends are, are from that firm. It's really incredible. And so I would say for anyone who really identifies with where I was in, in my 20s, take a chance. Take a chance, drop the mask, take a step towards the very thing that, is intimidating or fearful because you might be surprised that someone takes a step back towards you. Absolutely. And I think in the ideal utopian world, the person who is trying to figure out where they fit in shouldn't have to take the first step. But I yeah. think, I hope, and I want to believe that we are moving towards a place where more and more leaders understand how they can take the first step because it it seems like in your experience you've seen this too maybe there's willingness to do it but maybe not sure how to start mm -hmm. it's very hard one of the things that i have found is to think about what you might have in common and it could be in common on a professional basis so maybe you're both working on the same matter maybe you have the same client or coverage area in terms of a geography maybe it's a certain type of product that you're marketing, whatever your job is, these quote unquote people who are, you know, not like you or who you think hold the key to your success in your particular organization, they have something in common with you. And you can start there because it's a comfortable place to start. It's a place where you probably feel very competent, very confident. And so even if it's having a conversation over coffee about a way to market a product that's sort of, let's brainstorm about this because I feel like everything we've come up with so far is just not cutting it. I don't, it's not resonating with me. What do you think? Uh, people love to talk about themselves. So even if you said to a colleague, oh, do you want to have lunch? Because I have this thing that I'm grappling with and just based on the stuff you've worked on, I think you could, you know, I, I think I would really be grateful to have some advice from you because I, I feel like you have done this and you've been here before. It is not sort of empty flattery, and I don't want it to be confused with that, but it is thinking about the fact that everyone wants to feel needed. Mm -hmm. Everyone wants to feel that their contribution is valued. And if you have something in common with this person or these people, 
leveraging it to say, well, let's let's actually have a conversation that may be outside of what we do every day, but related to it uh, and something that we both understand. And then I think very naturally, very often, a whole relationship will start to grow that, that then becomes about both your professional growth and development and, and, and commonalities, but can really turn into, this is somebody that I think is an ally. This is somebody I can rely on in my, in my workplace. And then from there, it continues to grow. So find something that you have in common and, and start there because that's a little easier than sort of like, because going to work can sometimes be like walking into a party where you don't know anyone. And you're like, oh, dear, I thought my friends were going to show up. They're, they're not here. I'm all by myself. How am I going to talk to anybody? I'm, I'm standing in the corner looking like a loser. I mean, literally, sometimes you show up at work and that's how you feel. But if you have something in common that you can say, oh, hey, you know, we're working on this project together. Let's talk about like how we could make it bigger or take it to another market or what have you. Then at least it's a, I think it's a safer and more comfortable place to start. That was Petal Modest. I absolutely love her and I highly recommend listening to the full conversation with her. Next is Nikki, founder of the Corporate Melanin Millennial, which is a career coaching service that she runs. And this is a little bit of her speaking about her experience as a black woman in a nine to five working environment. Yeah, so there's a couple of things. One of the biggest things that I initially started, it's hard trying to navigate having black hair in a space that's not black hair-ish. Kind of going back to Toastmasters, I gave a speech called Don't Touch My Hair. And it's a corporate club, so it's only people who work at my company. And quite a few people were like, oh, I didn't know it wasn't okay to touch your hair. And in the corporate world, you kind of don't realize everybody's different. You don't realize that your hair doesn't determine professionalism. And one of the second things is finding a voice in a room full of people who don't look like you. There was this time where I was the only woman in the room, the only person of color in the room. And one of the managers, he curses a lot. And he every time he curses, he looks at me and says, I'm sorry. And so when I was like, are you apologizing because I'm a woman or what? And he turned bright red and he never said anything to that nature again. And I think the third thing is navigating that intentions come off differently as a woman of color. There have been many times where I'm like, okay, I need to tone down because I'll be perceived as the angry black woman in the room when I've seen other coworkers or other cohorts, even at other companies do the same thing. And it was praise. And navigating those microaggressions is tough. Navigating the world of you speak really well is rough. And you have to learn how to kind of explain that that was a weird thing for you to say without coming off and making them think that they need to be on the defensive. Have you found successful ways to do it? I mean, it's just you add on the fact that there's the power dynamic there, right? Because if the person who's doing that is your boss or someone in a position of power, have you been able to craft something in a way that feels like good in your heart, but also feels like the thing that you do want to say? Yeah, so I'm grateful that our company has one-on-ones all the time for you to talk directly to your management. And what I've discovered is not having these conversations in rooms with other team members, not having these conversations in the room with your manager's manager, sitting down and saying, hey, last week when you said that I needed to tone down, 
I don't think you realize that this is my personality and it's not just you. And you totally have to understand the differences in people's personalities. And I think that set. And then later I just sent him an article on what microaggressions were and he actually understood it. And sometimes I think, especially depending on how your management is, if they are data focused people, sending the data behind it helps a lot. And so I definitely think those are things that have helped me and can absolutely help other people. I think sending an article makes so much sense. Also, like if an interesting article pops up, it it can also just be a general awareness building thing of like, oh, this is an interesting article. I think my team should read this. Yes, I have a manager who does that. She's also a woman of color and she sends out these articles that just seem interesting. And sometimes they kind of hit on some of those dynamics. Yeah, that's really helpful because it's a way to start building awareness and almost start preempting things and maybe stopping it from happening in the first place, which seems like an easier way, at least if someone feels afraid or intimidated because it can be scary to speak up in that way. That can, I think, be one way to start out if someone's feeling like, oh, my gosh, I can't imagine saying this to someone that feels really big and scary. Absolutely. And you learn each time something happens, you continue to build on your knowledge base. That was Nikki. Her full interview also has a ton of job search advice and other interesting tidbits. So I will link that below. I will also link her website in case you're looking for career coaching. I know she helps with job searching and things like resumes. And I will also link below a blog post that she has written called, quote unquote, you speak so well microaggressions in the corporate world. So I will link that below. And next, you are going to hear from Marissa Germain. Marissa is currently a program coordinator at Georgetown University, and she is also the founder of a company called Rito. Here's Marissa. So I am trying to think of like the best way to talk about this. I guess because my path into development was not the traditional path. I didn't go to an ID. I don't have well-connected family members in the traditional sense. Like that is the case for a lot of people in DC. And the foreign affairs industry, these are broad brush statements and there are always exceptions. Clearly I am one of them, but there's a good bulk of people who either grew up in the area or they're the kids of diplomats or their parents were missionaries or their parents donated in this way, or their parents were in a better financial position, like they're, you know, upper middle class, if not upper class kids. And I think sometimes it gets to be challenging to see yourself on the same level because your path was a lot more challenging than others. And that mindset also excludes the belief that there are other people who have had challenging roads to get to where you are as well. And so it's not a unique individual experience that that's an experience that a lot of people go through. So, yeah, I mean, it's been a, it, it's a very <laughs> rocky experience and you kind of have to recognize that you're going through it. And I'm really thankful that as I was going through my career, that the conversation around imposter syndrome started to take place because in my early years, I was like, why am I not getting this job? Or like, I would get a job and I'm like, I, am I really qualified to be here? I don't really have the connections like these other people have. Like I have student loan payments that I have to worry about. In college and in grad school, I went to two places. I went to Rollins College and University of Pittsburgh. And in both places, they were very much encouraging and like fostering of like, 
take up the space and lead the things. And I got involved in all sorts of like leadership development programs and like learned how to move and facilitate a room and things like that. And it wasn't, it was when I started to like be working that all of that stuff started to become challenged. And I'm like, well, all right, well, let me try like leading from the back of the room and making myself smaller. So I don't threaten the systems that currently exist because whenever especially when you're new and when you're young and you're coming in at the entry level, if you (laughs) happen to be like me, you want to like just shake things up and make the world better. And like you see all the problems, but you don't have enough of the history about why those problems exist. And so it can create a lot of conflict and a lot of friction. And then you end up not achieving what it is that you set out to achieve because you've pissed everyone off. You've like stepped all over people's work unintentionally. And then that starts to feed like the imposter syndrome, right? You're like, well, clearly I don't belong here because I just upset all of these people. And like I say all of these people, it's not like I, there isn't one particular setting or example where that was the case where I just like came in and was like, this is how everything needs to be. Let's change everything. And then like the entire organization hated me. That's not what happened. (laughs) It's like there were small instances where, you know, you're in your career and you're like, oh, well, this doesn't seem to make sense. And then you realize (laughs) that the person across from you drafted the program or has been running that program for the past 10 years. And you're like, oh no, I made them mad. That was so disrespectful. Yeah. And so in trying to like be respectful of other people and their contributions, yeah, I started to get really insecure about like sharing my voice and wanting to take up space. And I feel like we are in a really great time because we now have lots of examples of how to take up space. Like it doesn't always have to be like the big loud voice in the room and the person slamming their hand on the desk, (laughs) you know, like, you don't. there's no need for that. Um, There are ways to like take up space that are not that way. Yes. Um, So I'm still trying to figure that out. And like, there's still times where you have to kind of like rein it in a little bit and like, offer the respect to the people who've been doing this for 20 some odd years, especially when you're in a more structured environment. But like trying to navigate that is really hard. And because there is no clear roadmap, there's a lot of mindset stuff that comes into place as well, right? I've been in rooms or worked with people who've been like diplomats forever. And you're like, oh, this is like the person I've wanted to be forever. And you're like, I, but they went to Yale and then they got their master's at Harvard and they've worked for this president and that president, or they came from this wealthy family, or, you know, they fit the appearances of what success in this industry look like. And that is so terribly intimidating. (laughs) And then you start to sit in rooms and you don't see yourself represented really in the room. And you're like, well, you know, maybe I don't have a seat at the table and no one wants me to have a seat at the table, right? Like you have to be sitting on the, on the outskirts. And unless you have an advocate in the room, you don't feel comfortable, you know, shaking things up. And sometimes it's appropriate to shake things up, which I've learned. And there are times that it's not. Um, and you kind of have to really pick your battles, but that it sometimes can be hard to separate from like, do I deserve to be in this room? Do I deserve to be in this job? Even though you can look back at all of the achievements and all of the things that you've accomplished that demonstrate that you have the skills, you have the experience, you have the tools that are needed to be there. And I wish I could say that like you achieve a plateau and you're like, okay, cool. I figured it out. It's all good. No, it's like an ongoing thing (laughs) and it evolves and it pops up in a variety of ways. And you have to kind of remember and have to develop that self-talk that like reminding yourself why it's important that you're there and like of the accomplishments that you've achieved and that you are an important voice and that these things are important and that you deserve to be there. And you almost constantly have to do that, which is 
exhausting, but it's also important in order to be there. Because otherwise, if you start feeding all of those fears and all of those concerns of, oh, well, clearly this person doesn't think I'm important or that I, I, I bring value or that I don't have the right education, then like your work starts to suffer. And then you lose everything because you've gotten so sucked into this idea of that you're not really worthy or that you don't deserve to be there, which is now self-sabotaging when really you just needed to kind of take a step back, recharge, and remember all the reasons why you got there and how you got there and why it's important that you're there. That was Marissa Germain. I will link her full episode below. I will also link her website for her company, Rito, which is an employment verification service, which she talked about in our full interview. Next, you're going to hear from Asari Anyagolu, who is general counsel at a major defense company. Here's Asari. Oh, I agree completely. Relationships. I mean, they say that when you're in school, but you really feel how important relationships are when you're in the working world. At the the law firm, I did have mentors and I have mentors now in-house too. And what I've liked, but again, it's been a bit of a stretch. Sometimes it has felt uncomfortable is that most of my mentors don't actually look like me. So yes, that might mean that you need more diversity in the legal field, women, people of color, et cetera. But I think that also means that sometimes having a mentor who doesn't have those automatic connections with you or seeming seems to not have those automatic connections with you can actually help you see things from a different perspective. Sometimes help your mentor see things from different uh, from a different perspective as well. So I had really great mentors when I was at the law firm and still do, but I also realized that so many different people can be mentors for you in different aspects. So it's not always like your immediate boss or someone who's more senior to you in the company or at the firm. I mean, sometimes it's been my peers. Sometimes it's been people junior to me. One, I guess she was actually my mentee at the firm, but we ended up becoming good friends. And she was that person who really tried to embody this idea of perfection is never perfection, right? So if that's what you're seeking, you'll always lose because nothing will ever be perfect. And she was junior to me at the firm. So a lot of people might be surprised by that. I've worked with some administrative assistants who just have a very good outlook on life. And I think that's helpful as well. Just having, being open to the different things you can learn from different people. So it really is about relationships and you can make them with anybody and they can help you and you can help them. And it's sort of this like continuous cycle. I think it's so freeing and I really would want to highlight for people that having a mentor is not about this one perfect, singular, magical person who does everything for you. I think a lot of times that's the story we get, which is like you're going to find your mentor and they're going to be like your fairy godmother and everything's going to be amazing. And that's a lot of pressure because it's like, okay, I now need to go out and find that person. And what if I don't find that person? You know, (laughs) is my career doomed in the piece that you shared about finding value, I think not only does that take some of the pressure off, it also gives space for things to develop organically because sometimes the strongest relationships are the ones that kind of grow on their own without a lot of forcing on our parts. 
I agree. I think I was reading something that they said, wherever you are professionally, you should have a mentor, a sponsor, and you should have sort of like a sounding board. So your sounding board could be somebody who's maybe your peer. Obviously, you commiserate with them. Sometimes they give you a reality check, like it's not that serious. Calm down. It's going to be okay. And then you have your mentor who you go to for different issues or solutions, or sometimes to celebrate your wins when you have them. And then you have a sponsor. It was very enlightening for me to see that separation between a mentor and a sponsor, because that also takes the pressure off of your mentor, right? They're here counseling you through things and you expect them to maybe champion you too. Sometimes you can find it in one person, but if you don't, that's okay. And according to this model, they even suggest that you have them as separate folks because your sponsor can really just champion all the good things about you. If it's for upward promotion or a raise or anything like that, without having to know all some of the maybe more neurotic side, maybe not know all of your um, <laughs> less than shining moments the way that a mentor might. So I thought it was, I thought it was very interesting, and it's something that I th- I try to keep in mind at each stage of my career is finding that sponsor, finding that mentor, finding that sounding board, and sometimes hopefully being that for someone else too. That was Asri Anyagolu. I will also link her full episode below. And last but certainly not least, when I was putting this episode together, the clip that you're about to hear, there were pieces of it that were literally playing in my mind. When I did this interview, there were things that Latasha said that just stayed with me so deeply. So who you're about to hear next is Latasha Thomas. She is a controller at the Boys and Girls Club of Sonoma Marin, as well as the creator of My Finances Matter. So here's Latasha. You know what? It's funny. I look back now and I realize like we didn't have a lot of money. I mean, we lived in the heart of the ghetto. We didn't have a lot of money, but we had each other. And so on some level, I mean, I felt like I had everything I needed. I mean, I wasn't starving. We didn't go without clothes. We didn't go without food or anything like that. My mom was an insanely hard worker and we single parent home. But we were all raised pretty solid. I mean, we just didn't have much, but we had a lot of love, a lot of laughter, you know, a lot of fun in our family, still do. And so the thing that sort of that strikes me and the thing that I want to sort of speak on is like, even though we had our own little space, like I always knew I wanted more. I wasn't deprived in any way, but I also knew that there was so much more out there and that I needed to figure that out. For me, college was that way to figure that out. That was how I was going to get out of those walls and figure out what else was out there because I had no idea. You know, I was in my own little space. We were comfortable, but I knew that there was something else. And so it was interesting. College was a pretty cool experience, though. I went to a predominantly white college. When I started there, there were 66 African-American people in the entire school of about mm, somewhere between seven and 8,000 people. You know, there wasn't a lot of us. I was the only Black person in most of my classes and most of the events and things that I participated in. But, you know, whatever. And you and I had talked earlier about like those early career days and when you were kind of just first learning, like, how do I exist? How do I be myself in this environment? And that's a really big theme on this show. 
is like feeling comfortable in a professional work environment. Can you talk a little bit about that early experience? Yeah, it was hard. (laughs) It was hard. It was hard just trying to figure out because I had never been in those situations before and I had never worked a professional job in that, you know? And so I worked at a grocery store for a long time. I worked at a childcare for a while as well in the office, but you know, at a childcare, I just never been in a professional environment. And so I had to learn all of those things. I had to learn all of that etiquette and how to just how to exist, but at the same time, still be myself. It took a while. I mean, it was just like, I just had to surround myself with the, with professionals and continue to be in those situations. And it was almost like practicing, you know, the same way you learn anything else, you had to learn to be that, to be in those situations and what was okay, what was not okay and, and different things like that. So I would literally, I would go attend conferences. I would go to business meetings. I would go to business expos. I would do all of those things and just put myself around professional people in order to learn because I didn't have that, that level of upbringing. And so we were never around a lot of professional type people. I didn't even know very many people that even had a bachelor's degree when I was growing up, let alone be a professional. And so those were things that I just had to learn. What would you advise if there's anyone out there who's kind of going through that process of like, how do I exist in this environment? And how do I also be myself and not feel weird and uncomfortable? Like, um, are there any tidbits or things you learned along the way that you think could help? For me, it was just like needing to just get out there. You have to network. You have to network. You have to put yourself in those situations. Even if it's uncomfortable, you know, you still have to do it because at some point you're going to need that skill. With any other skill that you're trying to learn or anything that you're just trying to hone in on, you literally, you just have to keep practicing. And so even though I didn't always want to be at business dinners, I didn't always want to be, you know, in those situations. I had to. I had to. That was the only way that I was going to make a name for myself also. You know, in the accounting world, especially when you're in a local, a small local place the way I am, a lot of people know your name. The accounting world is not that large. And so in this area, you know, word of mouth is huge. I had to put myself out there. You know, I needed people to be speaking great things about Latasha Thomas. And so the only way I could do that was to continue to put myself out there. And if you want it and you want it that bad, you need to go out there. You have to put yourself in situations where people are discussing your name. Yeah, I think that's such a helpful way of thinking about it because like you basically had a goal, which is like, I want to be seen this way. This is the reputation I want. This is where I'm headed. And then instead of seeing it as like, oh, it's this uncomfortable thing, which it is or which it was at the time, you saw it as like puzzle pieces to what you were trying to build. So that makes it that gives you the drive to just do it. You said it so perfectly. Just the big puzzle. What's the big picture? What are all the different things that you need to get to where you need to go? You know, we always focus on that end, you know, result, but it's all about the journey. You know, the journey is what makes it awesome. So figuring out all of those different pieces, what are some of the things that I need to do? How do I need to dress? How do I present myself? And is that comfortable for me? You still have to do it all while being yourself. So finding, you know, your comfort zone, but in that professional space, that's what it's all about. And it's tricky. It really is tricky for me, you know, it was just like I had to learn the lingo. I had to do all of those things. It was difficult. There's no doubt about that. I mean, and it's exhausting sometimes. <laughs> There's, you know, no doubt about that. But at the same time, it's like, but this is where I want to go. And that's the only way I'm going to get there. 
that is the journey. That's the path. I love that. I don't know if you'd relate to this, but like sometimes when something feels bad in the moment, you can also see that value can come from a very unpleasant thing. Like you could see what it will do for your character and for you as a person. Absolutely. I'd say all the time. I never like growing up, I've been around some of the craziest situations ever, but they all made me who I am today. They all prepared me for something bigger, better. And I don't know what those things will be. God hasn't revealed that plan to me just yet, but he's constantly preparing me for it. And so being in those situations and learning what I learned, even the bad things, all of it is preparing you for what's next. And so sometimes you just got to get ready. You don't know what you're getting ready for, but you got to get ready. Yeah. And sometimes I think about it this way, too. Like, if I'm going through something so horrible, then that means the next time a horrible thing happens, I have like a horrible situations toolkit and hard things start seeming less hard because you're like, you have an analogy somewhere. Absolutely. And you just get stronger. I mean, you just you get stronger by the day. The good things, the bad things, all of them make you stronger. And so it's just like, you know, but there's gonna be something bigger. And that that's my that's always like my thing. It's like, I know I'm gonna be uncomfortable for a while. It's okay. It's okay. That's it's all right. I know that something else is coming my way. And I just gotta work towards that. And I have to be, you know, I have to keep just continue, focus, focus, focus. I don't even sometimes I don't even know what I'm working towards sometimes, but I know that something else is around that bend and whatever it is that I'm in in the moment. I'm just going to roll with it. I'm going to learn from it. I'm going to take it all in. I'm going to take it with me because I'm going to need that at some point in time. That's been my life. Like that literally has been my life. And that was Latasha. And I will link her full episode below. And I will also link to her My Finances Matter website, which is something that she created in case you want to check her out below. And I want to thank you for tuning in to today's episode. As I say to myself, and I will say to my non-Black listeners, I hope that this isn't the only place that we listen. I hope we keep listening, especially in our actual workplaces. I hope we show up wanting to better understand the dynamics so that we can show up for our Black colleagues. And so that as we become leaders, we are deeply aware of what's happening and so that we can build cultures and build companies and catalyze change that reflects our values and reflects justice and builds an environment that is safe and supportive and fair, not just for those of us who hold a lot of privilege, but for everyone. And it sounds so basic to say that. It's like, how, how can it not already be fair for everyone? But that's the reality of where we're at right now And the more that we can see it and really look at it and take it in and not just rush to the next thing, I believe the more effective we will be in figuring out how we want to be part of change. So I'm going to sign off for this week. Thank you so much for tuning in. Please feel free to reach out to me. To the Black women who listen to the show, I just want to affirm my support for you and I want you to know that you're in my heart right now. If you ever want to reach out, if you have a story that you'd like to share on the show, if you have an experience or something that you'd want to talk about, please let me know. I will put all of my contact information below in case you want to reach out to me. And to everyone listening, I hope you have a wonderful day and I'll catch you in the next episode. Bye.